Hello everyone and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we try and take some science, squish it into an hour-long show, hopefully making it less confusing than it was at the beginning. This week, we are back with our four-part series on space, looking at planets, the moon, maybe conquers again. We'll see what happens. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok at InfoEntryPod, Instagram, InformationEntryPod, and of course, whichever directory you like to find your podcast. If you can give us a like, a rating, a share, a comment, whatever it is, we truly, truly appreciate it. I am Tom Jenks, joined as per usual by Mitchell Gatting. How are you, mate? I'm doing good. How's your week been? <laughs> oh, it's been... <laughs> With the power of editing, what has been a week for you, mere mortals, has been yet seconds for us. You know, it felt like a quick week. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, been, it's yeah. been pretty good. It's been a pretty good week. I got access to the the finals. It's a, a game made oh, okay. by, I think it was some Titanfall developers. Oh, cool. Um, I'll try, I'll try to get more, more detail on it. I was trying to look at the store page. Um... It's it's essentially a free to play game. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's Embark, Embark, who I'm also making Arc Raiders. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure was um, the the geezers that guys and girls that uh, decided to Stockholm based. I can't remember who it was. I'm pretty sure it's time for. Anyways, it's a three versus three versus three versus three. Okay. FPS game where you play in an arena and you have to try and uh, loot money. It's a combat-centered game show is what it's currently at. So the currently the game mode is like you try and get money out of the arena. Um, but the the thing they've focused on is the arena is like can be completely destroyed. So it's like buildings and stuff and everything is one hundred percent destructible. Oh, that's cool. Really fun. Uh, really, really addictive because, like, the gunplay is pretty just, like, on point. Yeah. Like, it's nothing I issue. think I've seen a couple of videos of this pop up in my YouTube feed, but I haven't clicked one yet. Yeah. Uh, really fun. Really good. Really enjoyed it. There's a tournament mode where you, it's like two, there's, you go 3v3v3, three three v three v three, so there's four teams against each other, uh, and yeah. you have to get in the top two, and if you get in the top two, you then progress into the next round. And this against ha- four teams again. Yeah, four, four teams again. Yeah, yeah. So it starts off with eight teams, and the, the top four go into the next round. Okay. And then that happens again until the last round is one team versus another team. And I'll, we oh, won. That's cool. uh, I won with a bunch oh, of randos. Sick. Yeah, like just join, just just join some randomers, and they on my team. I think they were in a, like a Discord call. But yeah, we we won. Took took half oh, an hour. Sick. Or we beat everybody else. Really good. Really, okay, really good. so it's kind of long, long, uh, long form, but that's cool. Yeah, if you play the tournament, it almost mode, seems it's... like a mix of like Apex, which is again arena based, and like these people are you know famous people battling out in an arena. Like that's the law, right? Uh, for viewers, I think that's the law behind Apex Legends. Uh not for viewers in Apex. Apex is to show that you're just the best. That oh, okay. you are the Fine. the the Apex. Hunter oh, okay. Legend. Or legend. Yeah. yeah. But this this is more about a game show. This, oh, okay. this is more game show esque. It's, it's almost that's why it's like called the final round based Hunger Game esque type scenario going on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's oh, that's pretty cool. Like the visuals, the the visual style's really cool. The the different levels are really bright, really vivid. There's sometimes they're just like, oh yeah, in this in this time that this you're playing this map, this whole building's gone. Because yeah goodbye oh because it was destroyed previously oh that's cool yeah so you have to like learn everything and there's loads of different abilities that you can use and find and get yeah it's good that's smart do you ever think about like and maybe this is just my perception and of how timings worked out but like the hunger games books came out they were pretty popular the hunger games tv came out uh the show the films yeah then people were playing like hunger games on minecraft Yes. Which has slowly evolved into these multi-massively player, uh, what are they called? Like Warzone, like Apex Legends, what are these games called? Yes, Battle Royales. Battle Royales. Like, has that all come from the Hunger Games in a weird 
turn of events? No, because The Hunger Games was stolen from Battle Royale, which is a Japanese movie. Oh, okay. Has it all come from Battle Royale then? Yeah. Yeah, because that's that's a great film. That is that a, great is a film. great film. There's the second one. There's, there's two, I, I believe. Oh, is there? I believe there's two versions of the movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, well, back on track then. So last week we started our space series and we discussed things about the sun and gravity yeah. and conquers and conquers we got on to conquers and if you're not a british person and you have no idea what a conquer is go check out that episode <laughs> and you, then you can join the debate hashtag no vinegar or hashtag vinegar vinegar no vinegar debate we'll see you at our yearly conquer meetup so- if you didn't know, in Peckham, there is a uh, Peckham Conquer Club. Okay. They've got a whole website. There's a championship that you can join. It's got rules. They've also got some can, like... Can we just hijack that? Okay. In the rules <laughs> of the Peckham Conquer Club, do they allow vinegaring and cooking or is it all standardized? Um, it doesn't actually say. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a battle royale, which is funny. Uh, according to the Battle Royale rules, Battle Royale is an anything goes approach to Conkers. There's special moves, uh, nut pimping, stampsies are all allowed. So it, it's a form of nut pimping. <laughs> <laughs> Not where I thought we'd be starting this episode. Oh uh, well, at all. Well, all right. Yeah, nut, nut pimping. pimping. Yeah, if you ever never said those two words together now you've just heard them through your ear holes nut pimping pimping. i feel like that's one of those things that even no matter how sad you are you could just say nut pimping to yourself and you would cheer up a slight amount yeah pimp my (laughs) (laughs) right i'm gonna move us on swiftly to the news before we go down a rabbit hole we can't escape from okay um this is from last week this week for us, last week for all of you beautiful faces at home. And it pertains to the UN's High Seas Treaty. Have you heard about this? No. What's going okay. on? Okay. So people who've been with us for a while, um, since the podcast that shall not be named, we interviewed someone called Dr. Enric Sala. At the <sighs> time, he was National Geographic's uh, Explorer in Residence. One, one and he also legend. had his own uh, absolute legend. Uh, he also had his own company that was sponsored through National Geographic called Pristine Seas. Yeah. And the aim of this project was to preserve or protect 30% of the seas by 2030. Also the said UN, that he loved our, our, our podcast. So, you and he know, also said that he loved our podcast. So, I mean, I've got can't it quoted. Much praise in that. I've literally yeah. got it quoted on an image. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I hung, that, I hung that up on my fridge at some point. Um, anyway. He's doing great work. And the UN, United Nations, you know, that big organization of countries from around the world, have just signed a treaty to protect 30% of the high seas by 2030. Exactly what he planned to do. The UN have just agreed to do it. Lots of uh, sea weeds up on those high seas, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So basically, the high seas is anything that is not within... Economic exclusivity zone, mm. and mm-hmm. these EEZs, as they're, they're otherwise known as, extend 200 nautical miles from a coastline. So, 200 nautical miles around the UK is the UK's EEZ. Yeah. 200 nautical miles off the coast of France is France's EEZ. Sorry, EEZ, and that just you know carries on. That country has specific rights to fish those waters, but they also you know have to protect them under UN directories and things like that. How does that work with, like, the UK and France? I know that's a bit... It's a big hot topic about the fisheries between... It it doesn't work. That's the the problem. Okay. (laughs) And it doesn't work for many, many countries around. And while this whole 30% by 2030 is such a great step in the right direction, I, I, I have some concerns. I work in this field anyway... And we've spoken to some people who also have concerns about it because it's so good to have on paper. But it took them 20 years to come to this decision. So that means some countries, not naming names, but, you know, the usual ones, 
Um, <laughs> the, usual, the, the usual suspects. The usual suspects. Yeah, usual suspects. There we go. They normally drag these things out because they don't like certain phrases uh, that they're going to have to like adhere to, or they refuse to sign it if certain things are in there, or they want like little loopholes that allow them, if they don't want to do that, they could not do it. So if you think about the IWC's International Moratorium on Whaling that was introduced in the 1980s. Sorry, we're going a bit on the whaling legislature right now. Yeah. Every country signed it, but some countries like Japan and Norway kind of went, okay, I'm signing it, but I'm still going to whale. So, you know, deal with it. And there's nothing they can actually, anyone can do to stop them Mm -hmm. because they're still Mm -hmm. doing it legally because they've put in these proviso loopholes. So that probably means that's in there. Also, currently only 1.44% of the high seas are protected. So increasing that to 30% in less than seven years, that's a lot to ask. A little, little bit. Just a little bit. Thirdly, they're heard. using a system called MPAs, Marine Protected Areas. Yeah. And the problem with Marine Protected Areas uh-huh. is they range from being like no-take zones where no one's allowed to go in there and fish and they're really heavily enforced to this area is an MPA and nothing happens. And so literally nothing changes. So 30% of the sea could be called an NPA and literally nothing could change. Okay. So until we see, it's a massive step in the right direction and I'm all for it and I think we should go further. But until we actually see the individual laws drafted by each of the member states, uh, we have no idea how much of an impact, if any, this will have. Yeah. Um, but I think it's good to put it on people's radars. So if you want to save the seas and you're passionate about that, the people who can make a change are your local MPs slash representatives. So, yeah, send them an email or letter, depending what you want to do. Cool. That's our activism for the week. Back to space. You you were so positive that it just, you know, detracted. So I think it is a great thing. I think it's just like people will often go, okay, that's in place now. Great. And stop there. But I think it's important to go, okay, that's in place now. Let's make sure we do something with it rather than let it fall away into obscurity mm-hmm. and just have it there as a namesake or a placeholder on a piece of paper that does nothing. So, yeah. Cool. Back to space. Back to space. Um, this week, bit of a mismatch, maybe. We'll do some inner planets. We'll do the moon. Uh, we'll see where moon. we get from there, really. Bit more the moon. We like the moon. Some theories, hypothesize a little bit. Um, have you got any facts? Any, any further facts? <clears throat> any further facts? You, did you reserve any for this episode? Um, no. I didn't okay. save any... Um, Oh, I yeah. did. I've got like a flat, I've got like a flat Earth one. Okay, go for it. Flat Earthers believe that must there must also be an invisible anti-moon that obscures the moon during lunar eclipses. Right. Because how do lunar eclipses work if there's not an anti-moon? It's one of those things, right, where you make up something <laughs> even crazier just to validate your slightly crazy belief. I know. I'm already stuck halfway down in this hole. I'll dig myself out. (laughs) Keep digging, (laughs) lads. Keep digging. (laughs) Uh, I wonder if there's like a floor that they can reach. Can they ever hit bedrock? (laughs) In this metaphorical hole digging scenario? Yeah, they hit bedrock when that that really famous uh, and flat earther, I was talking about an anti-earther then, a flat earther was like, did did that test? Where he got the, the 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 holes in the boards and shined a light through it. Oh, that was on Netflix, wasn't it? Beyond oh. the Curve, it's called. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that that was so funny. So yeah. That so if I shine hilarious. if I shine this light through this hole and I can see light at the other end, the Earth's flat. Couldn't see the light. <laughs> Couldn't and then, see the light. The, at the, all. the funniest thing is that they had said, but. Uh, they'd even said, okay, and then if we can't see it and we move the board up, then it means the Earth's curved. And then they did that. <laughs> yeah. And they could see the light. Oh, dear. So funny. Absolute madness. Absolute madness. Um, yeah. I have a fact. 
Um, and it pertains to asteroids, comets, and meteors. Because what is the difference? Would you know off the top of your head? Read, 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 read them out to me. What are they? Asteroids? Asteroids, yeah. comets, meteors. Yeah. Um, asteroids are out in space. Uh, okay. Meteors make impact with the... Or would would hit, and comets are passing. Incorrect. Ah, oh. you're not too far off on meteor. Um, so an asteroid is a small rocky object, and when seen under a telescope, it appears as a point of light. Most asteroids are found in the ring between the orbit of Mars and Jupiter, called the asteroid belt. Jupiter. Some are round, some are elongated, and some even have their own satellites or mini moons. So, asteroid is rocky, right? Yeah. Comet also orbits the sun, but unlike an asteroid, it is composed of ice and dust. Ice and dust. When a comet gets closer to the sun, the ice and dust contents start to melt and vaporize. So, when we look at it in a telescope, it appears funny or fuzzy, sorry, not funny, um, and it has a tail. Asteroids will not have tails because they don't have ice on them. That's melting off. A meteor, then, uh, is a small piece of asteroid or comet, doesn't matter which, typically around the size of a pebble. And it's often created from a collision that then is on the trajectory with, specifically at the minute, Earth, because we're not on any other planets. Um, So when it enters the Earth's atmosphere, it is called a meteor. And that's when it starts to burn up at very high speed and create shooting stars. So if you've ever seen a shooting star, what you're actually seeing is a small rock, pebble-sized meteor, uh, sorry, comet or asteroid burning up in the atmosphere. So, yeah, asteroid, rocky, comet, ice with a tail, meteor, either or, in the Earth's atmosphere. Right. So there you go. Now, you know, the more you don't know. say we never teach you nothing. Last week, you got conkers. This week, asteroids. Well, you got conkers this week as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell. Right. Um, where, where do we want to head first? I've got some inner planet stuff. You've got some moon stuff. What, what are you feeling? I've got some nebula stuff as well. So, you know. Oh, okay. What, what are you feeling then? I mean, you go. I I spoke way too much last week about things. Okay, you you kick us off. I'll, I'll go with some planetary things. Um, and one of the first things I looked at is why do we distinguish between the inner and outer planets? And this purely becomes or comes from one, obviously their position, because you've got an asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, but also because the inner planets and the outer planets have very distinct characteristics that link them closer to each other than they do between the two groups. Twixt. So the inner planets, or the terrestrial planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, are relatively small and rocky, solid surfaces, and are very dense. Just stupid, a lot of them. Um, They're located close to the sun and (laughs) relatively to others have short orbital periods. On the other hand, the outer planets, which are gas giants, include Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. We pray for Pluto. Uh, These planets are much larger than the inner planets and consist mostly of gas and ice. They have very low density and no solid surface at all. Some of them have like a rocky core, or at least when they formed, they used to. But you, if you flew through it without getting crushed by gravity, you would just come out the other side. I feel like gas giant planets are like failed stars. They never got big enough to <laughs> cause nuclear fusion. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, but that's, that's just how it goes. So, how do the inner planets form? And this comes on to a theory called accretion. And you spoke a bit about planetary disks last episode. Or the universe being on a plane because of how it expands. Essentially, after the Big Bang, imagine lots of gas going round, dust, 
and it slowly starts to clump together. Now, are you nicking Dust my nebula hypothesis off the, off the bat of your oh, star? Is this what it is? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I was just going for for, so, so formation of the solar system. Yeah, that's the nebula hypothesis. It's oh, the theory it? that the sun oh. and all the stars in our solar system uh, began as a giant cloud of molecular gas and dust about 4.57 oh, wow. billion, billion years ago. Go for it. Oh, I didn't mean to step on nobody's toes. <laughs> I'll actually go for it. I'll, I'll come <laughs> in with the, the talking, I like, this sounds awfully lo- a lot like nebula. <laughs> What's going okay. on here? Oh, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's almost like, <laughs> for bad for jumping in now. Um, no. Giant cloud of molecular gas, gas and dust was sat there doing nothing, just chilling in the, the cold vacuum of space, just chilling. Um, and due to a passing star or a shockwave from a supernova, uh, something happened that the end result was a gravitational collapse at the center of the cloud. And then from this yeah. collapse, pockets of dust and gas began cl- collecting into denser regions, not all in the center, some some further out. And as the denser regions pulled in more and more and more matter, uh, obviously conservation of momentum caused it to begin to rotate. And while increasing pressure caused it to heat up, most of the materials ended up in a ball at the center, while the rest of the matter flattened out into the disks that circled around it. Accretion disks. Are they called accretion disks? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and while the ball at the center formed the sun, the rest of the materials would form into protoplanetary disk, which is that, that the fancy name for the accretion disk. Um, the planets formed by this accretion, uh, by the accretion of this disk, in which the dust and the gas gravitated together and coalesced to form even larger bodies and due to their higher boiling points only metals and silicates could exist in a solid form close to the sun and those eventually would form the terrestrial planets mercury venus earth and mars and because metallic elements only comprised a small of a very small fraction of the solar nebula the terrestrial planets could not grow very large in contrast the giant planets so jupiter saturn uranus and neptune for neptune yeah. Formed beyond the point between the <laughs> orbits of Mars and Jupiter where materials uh, were cool enough for volatile icy compounds to remain solid, i.e. the frost line. The, I, the This ice that formed these planets were more plentiful than metals and silicates that formed the terrestrial inner planets, allowing them to grow massive enough to capture large atmospheres of hydrogen and helium so that's leftover debris that never became the planets, congregated in regions such as the asteroid belt, uh, the Cape, is it Cuper belt, and the Oort cloud. Belt. Kuiper belt. Yeah. So within 50 million years, the pressures and density of the hydrogen in the center of the protostar became great enough for it to begin a thermonuclear fusion. The temperature and reaction rate pressure density increased until hydrostatic equilibrium was achieved. And at this point, the sun became a main sequence star, which is stage five. If you like, want, want to know more about the stages, hop on to our last podcast. Um, yes. Uh, and the solar wind from the sun created the heliosphere and swept away the remaining gas and dust from the protoplanetary disks into interstellar space, ending the planetary formation process. So for those, that, yeah, for those that are wondering out there, like, why is like, why they're gas? planets and why are they not it's all to do with how things were heated up and how the distance between them and the proto star that's literally it pretty much yeah so everything that was close got pushed away i mean it happens in earth right if you have a candle heat moves up and away from it right um i'd imagine Mm. it's a similar process but obviously there's no air in space but I think the intensity of the heat would still vaporize things and push mm-hmm. it away towards the outer reaches of the solar system, right? Which is cool. Yeah. And what I didn't realize, or I'd never really asked myself whether all of the rocky planets have the same core. Right. Because you would think if gases get pushed away, do lighter metals get pushed away as well? So, Mercury, the smallest inner planet and closest to the Sun, has a large, dense metallic core that makes up about 60% of its mass. So, 60% of Mercury, of the weight of Mercury, the mass, mm-hmm. is just its core. 
It's believed to be primarily composed of iron, but it's got some sulfur and nickel hanging around in there as well. Now, sulfur is actually quite a soft metal, I think. Yeah. In It's in the, um, if I'm trying to think about my periodic table, if you go all the way to the right, you've got the noble gases, right? The nobles. So yeah. do we need to go all the way to the left to get to like the potassium column? The K. Is that the K column? That's salt, isn't it? The K column. Um, Potassium is K. Yeah. And then sodium. They're like metals that react heavily with water, but you can literally cut them with a knife. Like yeah. They're not very strong metals. Don't put them uh, in water. Highly reactive. Do yeah, not put don't, them in water. <laughs> yeah, don't put them in water. They go bang and that. pop. Yeah. <laughs> um, Venus, <laughs> so second planet out now, is thought to be more similar to Earth, composed of iron and nickel, but that's just kind of a theory we really don't know as much about venus as we do any other inner planet at the minute mm-hmm. core wise earth we know quite a lot about because we live on it and we can dig into it uh, liquid outer core solid inner core both composed primarily of iron and nickel and that's what gives us such a strong magnetosphere and protects us and gives us the aurora borealis and australis as we spoke about last episode and then mars has a smaller core than earth and again, we don't understand a lot about it, but we think it's mainly iron. And it used to have a magnetosphere um, until the core died and it could no longer hold on to its atmosphere, even. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, accretion disk, nebula hypothesis. We're on the same tracks. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I find it really interesting. Like people look at the solar system and go, "Oh, it's all in one plane." Isn't that lucky? No, <laughs> yeah, isn't that lucky? It that ain't it lucky. Decide, it didn't decide to go up or down. Yeah, it's the spinning, as you said. Like, okay, imagine it was a three D sphere of gas. Yeah, something happened in the middle. It started rotating on a plane, and then all of the other gas, because of the way gravity works and spinning, got. F- squeezed into a disc that lined up with the spinning right so that's how all of the particles of dust and protoplanets ended up on the same plane yeah so yeah really cool very interesting indeed 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 and then one thing i find interesting also is the asteroid belt which i don't think is spoken about that much because people are more interested in the planets, which kind of makes sense. Like, it rains diamonds on Jupiter because of pressure and things like that. Like, it's absolutely wild. Um, however, I will speak about the asteroid belt. Um, <laughs> some people don't, so, but I will. I'm going to be a brave don't. individual. I will. I will be the asteroid belt. What do you call it when you support something? Supporter. There we go. That'll do. <laughs> Words are failing me today. Um, So it's estimated to contain millions of asteroids. So asteroids being rocks ranging in size from a few meters to several hundred kilometers in diameter. And some of them even like have enough gravity to have their own satellites, smaller asteroids orbiting them. And if you remember, we spoke about the DART mission, NASA's DART mission a few months ago, where they sent a small rocket the size of a refrigerator or a small giraffe, I think was the terms they specifically used. They lobbed a refrigerator at an asteroid to see if they could redirect it just to test whether if an asteroid was coming to hit us, we could use that similar technology to direct it away from us. Yeah. They didn't fire it at any asteroid. They fired it at an asteroid orbiting another asteroid to see if they could change the orbit and very successful they changed it way more than they actually thought they would so go nasa and the dart program so the asteroid belt is thought just to be the remnants of the failed planetary formation process so all of the rocks that have gone to form earth mars venus and mercury not all of them got used up because they were too far away to be affected by gravity They basically now form a ring between Mars and Jupiter. Despite there being many asteroids out there, 
And I think we have such a maybe warped vision of what the asteroid belt is because of Star Wars and things like that. You know, they fly mm-hmm. through it and all the rocks are crashing into each yeah, other. Yeah, I was about to mention that. And it's very that. close. I was yeah, about go for it. to You've mention mentioned that. this before, so go for it, yeah. Yeah, about it's, it's so absolutely ridiculous that that would never happen. And it would never be... And th- this is quite interesting because you, are you watching the new Mandalorian? Uh, uh, I've only seen season. the first episode. Okay, so there is a scene in one of the seasons of Mandalorian. I'm uh, pretty sure it happens multiple times. On the latest episode, they're flying through asteroids. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's in episode of, one. They do that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they're and like they're crashing into each other, and he's like flying in and out, and it's all like close and all that sort of jazz. And in reality, they're so far apart from each other that would yeah. never happen. They're like yeah. using asteroids for cover and yeah. smashing each other into <laughs> asteroids that are close by. But if you were actually there, you wouldn't even be able to see the other asteroid. It's so far away and tiny. Like it's mad. Um, so we have a very warped imagination of what an asteroid belt or asteroid field looks like. I'm yeah. sure it can get crazy like that at some points just through pure chance. So but the fact uh, you're flying a ship through there at that time, I don't know. I used to play a game called Starbase. <clears throat> Fantastic okay. game for the for the time it was supported and then decided not to support it anymore. Still, still Is this the game that had like that crazy conspiracy thing going on? Or is that... Starcraft, no. What was the what was the crazy the crazy conspiracy? So I, it was a video game where you had different factions in this galaxy, right? And it literally took you years to span the galaxy. And there was major factions, and you would trade, and you would fight, and they were like pirates, and you decided which faction you're going to join. But it's all community driven. There are no NPCs Eve? in this world. You may, maybe it was Eve Online. And basically, this guy was an undercover agent in the opposing faction for literally eight years. But he was loyal to his faction the entire time. And basically, in like one day, they enacted this plan after eight years of build-up to just steal literally everything the other faction had. And you had hundreds, thousands of people who were playing this for like eight hours a day, and this was their life. Just yeah. got upended, yeah, uh, with like an eight-year build-up. There is a documentary about this on YouTube, and it is amazing. No, not this game. I played. Uh, okay, it was cool. a it was a, <laughs> a smaller like indie-esque game. Um, okay, yeah, and essentially you went out into like you built your spacecraft, which was so unbelievably difficult to do, um, and then you went out mined, and in the okay. asteroid belt, and it would take you. Forever to get from one asteroid to the other and then go searching yeah. because they were so far apart because they were like, yeah, we'll just do a proper distance on this. Um, and that's one like one of the aspects was uh you would have to gauge, you know, how much fuel you had left. Um, okay. And there was like a safe zone that was absolutely massive. But if you went out the safe zone to get like the more rare materials, uh, and you ran out of fuel. That was it. You lost, your, you lost your spaceship. It was gone. That's pretty sad. Yeah. And someone said, like, you would save up millions of in-game's credit to buy this one spaceship and then lose it because they're so, they were so um, fragile and built so, like, if you lost... Haphazardly. <laughs> yeah, like, and because there was a whole, there's a whole, like, uh, aspect of uh, weight in the ship. Like, if you were flying along uh, and you had more weight on one side or the thrusters didn't all power up together, you had to manually write the code for the thrusters. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it, it got so in-depth that they wrote a programming language for this game. <laughs> like, that's it, pretty cool. Uh, I think it was like just a simple base on Python, and they just changed some things. Um, but it, yeah, it got pretty difficult. But if you like the bolts when you're building it, if you didn't have enough bolts to hold things in the structure integrity dropped and then when you're flying along things would just fall off if you went above a certain speed just just <laughs> crazy things that games that's decide cool. they want to do yeah yeah fair starbase um starbase check it out not sponsored hashtag <laughs> so asteroid belt things really far apart hence why when we send uh satellites out they just don't you know 
it's not they're not running the gauntlet uh, they're just passing through very oh, large I, gaps. I, I love that know. idea of just like yeah, running the gauntlet. Yeah, uh, it's much cooler, but actually, no, it's very easy to send a satellite out yeah. and know it's not going to hit anything. In fact, <laughs> the total mass of all asteroids in the belt ever is 4% the mass of the moon. Wow. If you took all the rocks together... You would get something that's the like only four percent the mass of the moon. So, yeah, sorry to pee in someone's puddle if they were excited about the asteroid belt. Sorry, Not a lot what? going on there. Pee in someone's puddle. What? Um, you know, I couldn't remember the phrase. Pissing rain on your... someone's yeah, pee rain on someone's is... parade. No, no, the piss... rain on someone's parade conflicts. Uh, okay, uh, my brain's obviously not working with idioms right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, bit... <laughs> so we created a new one. Let's piss in people's puddles. Pissing <laughs> <laughs> puddles. Yeah. Um, cool. So the, the asteroid belt, however, is very important uh, for studying planetary formation mm. because a lot of the asteroids that are there have not changed since the formation of the solar system. And because mm. they are primitive uh, rock formations, we can see what effects they were under, like chemical or geological or uh, heat temperature effects from the, the protostars they were under at the time of formation of the solar system around 4 billion years ago. <laughs> and yeah, there's a couple of really large ones we know about. One of them, Ceres, uh, C-E-R-E-S. If you are a fan of The Expanse, you will have heard of this. Um, maybe you've just come across it. Anyway, it's about 940 kilometers in diameter. And it was first discovered in 1801. And they thought it was a new planet. It's that it's large enough that they were like, oh, yeah, we found a new planet. Called it Ceres. And then they was declassified. Uh, along Pluto's lines, but to an Sad. asteroid rather than a small planet. Yeah. In 2015, NASA's Dawn spacecraft found that it has a differentiated structure, so it has a rocky core and an icy mantle, and potentially has a subsurface ocean of liquid water around it. That is unconfirmed. I would imagine not in the asteroid belt. Mm. Uh, however... I think one of Jupiter's moons, which is it Europa, mm -hmm. has a subsurface ocean. So the theory is, and we spoke about this a little bit last episode about tidal, gravitational tidal waves. Yeah. Basically, because Jupiter is so strong gravitationally, as Europa orbits it, the inside get of the rock structure gets stretched one direction and then it gets stretched in another direction. And because that's been happening under such strong gravitational forces and for such a long time, the core has become molten. So they think that has heated up the inside of the planet, creating a subsurface ocean of like two miles, maybe more. And then the outer surface is still frozen. But the crazy thing about Europa is it's got cracks in the ice structure where it has giant ice geysers, geysers that spray ice up mm -hmm. out of the gravitational reach of Europa. And they think, they think this is what, and a very similar thing happens with Enceladus, Saturn's moon. And they think what happens there is the ice leaves Enceladus and then is sucked up by Saturn. And then that's what gives Saturn its rings. Because right. if Saturn's rings weren't constantly regenerating, they should have disappeared by now, is okay. the thought process. But because we know the rings are made of ice, we know the only reason we can see them is because they're smashing into each other and creating shiny surfaces for light to reflect back at us. Yeah. They must be 
If that just went on forever, they'd get so small it'd just become dust, there'd be nothing there. But we can see it. So they think ice is coming from Enceladus and kind of reforming Saturn's rings, which is pretty cool. Then we have Vesta, which is the second largest object in the asteroid belt, only 525 kilometers, and is one of the brightest asteroids in the sky, which you can also see with the naked eye sometimes. And it is one of the most impacted asteroids we've ever found. It's just hit by everything, everywhere. And, all the time. Uh, yeah, all the time. All of the time. So since the asteroid belt is essentially the area where planets fail to form, Ceres and Vesta are what we think protoplanets looked like at the early formation of the solar system. If they had continued to collect more rock and maybe crashed into each other, we may have an extra planet. Um, but obviously uh, we don't because only 4% the mass of the moon. So it would have been very tiny indeed. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's kind of inner solar system, rocky planets and the asteroid belt. Nice. Yeah. Nice indeed. Yeah, nice. Um, huh? What about your moon stuff? <laughs> what about my moon stuff? What about moon stuff? Got any, what you, got any, you got any moon rocks over there? I do, I, you know what? I do have some moon rocks. You know, just thinking about... Just me just, I was just sat here thinking about moon rocks. That's what I do in my spare time. Just think... There could be like, worse things to think about. Uh, it's true. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there could be worse things to think about. <laughs> You're not racist. He's not. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking, say, thinking about how the moon was formed. After you were saying about well, so much about how different planets are formed, I was like, you know what? How's the moon formed? Well, do do enlighten. So, a lot of things were revealed with the Apollo program, but before the Apollo program, and when we went to the moon, there were. Three theories about how the moon was actually formed. If you didn't know. Two or three, did you say? Sorry. Three theories. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's the capture theory, the giant impact theory, or the accretion theory. Can I assume that the accretion theory is like the planets formed around the sun from an accretion disk, the moon formed around Earth? from an accretion disk yes okay okay so first one the capture theory is the moon's existence uh was formed somewhere else in the solar system and then passed by earth as the moon approached the earth and is captured by the the earth's gravitational field so okay. The moon, the moon is actually so like it was moving past flying and through. <laughs> no, no, it's not too fast. It could be relatively slowly. I say relatively slowly, uh, due to how, how fast things move through the universe. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then that's how you know, it happens. And there's there's two there's two. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's two reasons why that can be the case. Okay. So the theory is a. This theory is generally not accepted. Because it would have to be very unlikely for the moon to be captured by the Earth because of their relative sizes. The Earth's mass is not large enough compared to the moon, and combined with the fact that this approach would have occurred at very high speeds, it would have been nearly impossible for such an event to occur. And although this theory would allow for the composition of the two objects to be different, the moon and the Earth actually show similarities between their composition, which truly shows that this theory is, is just, you can't do it. Just, it does not work. Yeah, I feel like it would be very odd if something's moving past and it kind of gets slingshotted around. Like, you can change the path of it by coming close. Mm -hmm. But for it to just fully land in the orbit and it be perfectly circular Yeah. Orbit, well, not that it's perfectly circular anyway, but roughly. And also, the moon is moving away from the Earth. I feel like if something was captured by it, it would slowly be moving toward the Earth. Like, the the orbit would be getting tighter, mm -hmm. not wider. Yeah. But that could be unfounded. That's just a thought. Could be, could be unfounded thoughts. Um, so the reason they, the, one of the ways that they, they completely disproved this is they brought rock samples back in the Apollo mission, compared the two and went, huh, 
lot of similar things going on here. Um, okay. So this could be explained potentially by the giant impact theory. So moving on to the giant impact theory. The th this theory uh, proposed that a Mars-sized object struck Earth, causing part of the Earth's crust to be thrown into space and also causing a the giant object to be split into many smaller objects. Eventually, the leftover materials in space collected together and formed a small spherical object that is now the moon. The Earth is also you know, became spherical again because of rotation and gravity. That's how that works. Uh, the hit from the Mars-sized objects, known as Thea, would have been a glancing blow, and this would have allowed the Earth to maintain its internal integrity while also causing some of its crust and mantle to release into space. This collision also explains the reason as to why the Earth-Moon system has a very fast rotating uh, speed compared to other moons and planets in our solar system. Okay. Right. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Um. I feel like it's definitely more believable. Oh, more believable than capturing. Yeah. Oh, but one hundred percent. What's the general consensus on this one? What well, and how? how uh, yeah, that one—the giant impact theory. That's the. This is the generally accepted one, is it? If this is the most widely accepted scientific theory on how the moon okay. was formed, is the giant impact theory. So, about 4.5 billion years ago, uh, a Mars-sized object collided with Earth. Yeah, and it 100 makes sense. Yeah, but that Mars-sized object became part of the moon. Uh because where we, has that Mars-sized object gone? Oh, it said it was a glancing blow. So some of it would have been left behind. Okay. And some of it would be, would have been continued on. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that theory. I like it. And it, com it completely makes sense why, as you were saying, they're bringing the rock samples back and they match up, right? Yeah, they match up. Yeah. Okay. Did that form an accretion disk? What do you mean? the debris left over from the impact or did it just knock a chunk out of earth it or was knocked... it just lots of dust around it that was then collected up and formed the moon uh bit of both okay that makes sense as so well So bits were collected up and then you know you know how spinning yeah. things work all spinning things work together. just hoovered up all the rock became yeah. the moon mm -hmm. very shiny yeah um not its own light source yeah. surprisingly and people, people don't need, don't know that. They should know that. Um, so the <laughs> uh, final moon was formed at the same time. <laughs> flat, flat moon, <laughs> flat moon theories. Um, <laughs> flat moon, flat moon. Uh, accretion theory. It's the last one suggests that the moon was created along with Earth at its formation. And why can't this be true, Tom? See, I was just about to say it's also very plausible because. Nah, bruv. It's if not. it's formed from the same material that's around, it would also explain why the rock samples are similar. Why so, can it not be true? Okay, and and um, I'm saying this because know. obviously there's a you know uh, an information hierarchy here where I have the more information than you, uh, yeah. and that is purely okay. So they have the same bits and bobs. Like iron, and bobs, uh, yeah. different materials that's made out of. But uh, if they were formed at the same time in the same nebula in the same equation theory of the things we together, they would have the same amount of iron, but they don't. Oh, which disproves this theory. Also, the densities of the two objects would be the same if this theory were correct. But the moon has a density of about sixty percent of Earth's. Okay, so if you had the same size moon rock to earth rock, percentage-wise, moon rock would weigh 60% of the earth rock. Yes. Okay. And the angular level at which the moon orbits the earth is also the reason why this theory is unlikely, to, most likely to be incorrect. If the moon were to have formed around the same nebula as earth, it would be orbiting in the same planar level instead of the five degrees above Earth's rotation. Oh, right. Oh, and that makes sense as well, right? Because 
if it was formed in the same plane, it would like be in line with the yeah. sun every single time it goes past. Yes, but it's not. Eclipses no. don't happen twice a month. More than no. that, every day when the sun's out, when the moon's out. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's why the moon makes its funny patterns in the sky, and it's always in a different place. Yeah, it is. Got here. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Or oh, there's a, there's a fourth theory here. Very sci-fi-esque. Um, very Doctor Aliens. Who. It's a giant space moth's egg. And it'll hatch and fly oh. off. What happens? I haven't, no. Oh, so... This is so, a Capaldi episode. Um, it is... I always call him Peter Dinklage. It's not Peter Dinklage. It's... Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. Uh, and Martha, I think... When Martha comes back. Is it Martha? No, not Martha. What's the... I can't remember the companion's the name. The other one's name. Not Martha. The one that uh, it went into his 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 uh, time history and went through and saved him. She also died multiple times. Um, that's not, that's not a spoiler. River? River? No, not River Song. Um, okay. What is her name? Uh, Clara Oswald? Yeah, Clara Oswald. Okay. Um, they have to make the decision to either blow up the moon and live the consequences or let it be. And they give the earth, the whole earth, the vote by turning off and on lights. And they vote to oh. not nuke the moon. And in doing so, they saved a space dragon. Um, and then it laid another egg in its place and then flew off. So there was no continuity oh. error. Well, that's good. Yeah, convenient. Um, convenient. Uh, speaking of um, an egg. That's a very good evolutional trait. I, it is. It is. Yeah. If you don't know. That's almost as bad as the Medusa. What Medusa? <laughs> uh, the ones that we get freaked out about every time we mention evolution. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> reproductive the, strategies. It's <laughs> called Hydro. The Hydra, that's it, yeah. Hydra, you always call it Medusa, but it's the Hydra. Yeah, my bad. Because um, it's not the fact that it can turn things to stone and petrify them, it's the fact that if you cut off one of its necks, it'll spawn two. Yeah, mad. Yeah, crazy. So, what is the moon made out of? It's not made out of cheese, Tom. Well, I watched Wallace and Gromit, and actually it is. And you don't need a space helmet, and you can build a rocket in your shed. So do you know where that saying comes from? It's made of cheese. Yeah, because it was before Wallace and Gromit. For sure. They just made well, a short I, out I of it. I wonder how much before. Like, is it a fairly recent <laughs> thing? Or is this like... It's much before. 1500s. It's, in, it's widespread as a folkloric motive among many of uh, the world's cultures. Is it just because it's like... It's not even yellow, though, is it? Sometimes it is, I suppose. And it's also it what... got a colour to it as well. I didn't realise this. So the moon, the moon is made of green cheese, is the, that's the actual statement. Okay. And it's referring to the fanciful belief that the moon is composed of cheese. In its original formulation as a proverb, a metaphor for cruel, crude, crude, oh, I cannot say the word, predultory with roots and fable. This refers to the perception of a simpleton who sees a reflection of the moon in water and mistakes it for a round wheel of cheese. I don't know what that happens to me all the time. Walking along, see a puddle and be like, oh, that's, why is there a wheel of cheese down here? It's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, in this economy as well, I think I've absolutely <laughs> scored a bargain. In this economy. Um, it turns out there is no wheel of cheese. Someone's just pissed in my puddle. Someone's just pissed in your puddle. <laughs> but do you know what the, the moon and cheese does have in common? Some, some, some cheeses. Not all cheeses. Some cheeses. Mold. And it is cheeses. It's not just cheese. I'm talking about different variations of cheese, like fish and fishes. Before anybody else go and like that. Yeah, yeah, it's got a crust. Oh. Which is more okay. rind. But uh but if you didn't know, the moon is made out of a crust, a mantle, a core. There's also uh Yeah. It's just that. There's there's a there's an inner core, outer core, partial mount. Uh, mantle and crust, just like Earth. But I presume, like, the rock solid. 
Like, there's no mantle movement. Is like, I know moon... we've got our moonquakes, right? Yeah. But there's no, like... It's a solid core. There's no lava magma situation going on. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. Just making sure. Iron rich. Sure. Iron rich, okay. Ethics on mining the moon. Yay or nay? Wait, 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 wait. Hold this. Hold hold the phone. NASA. So okay. the team's findings suggest the moon possesses a solid iron rich inner core with radius of 150 miles and a fluid primary liquid outer core with a radius of roughly 205 miles. Okay, so that's new to me. Yeah. I All thought my life, I've just kind of presumed solid. I yeah, I mean, solid core, isn't it? Don't worry, I'd sing so badly, we're not going to get copyright strikes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was solid as well. What? That's pretty cool. Look, even we learn on this show. Okay, well, that's pretty hype. Yeah, partially molten and partially liquid rather than entirely solid. This was based on observations and measurements of the moon's gravitational field, which suggests that it's a partially molten core. Scientists have used data from the Apollo missions, as well as from other lunar orbiters and other spacecraft, to study the moon's internal structure. One method is to measure the gravitational field of the moon, which is affected by the distribution of mass within the moon. These measurements suggest that the moon has a partially molten core with a radius of about 300-400 kilometers. The moon's core is thought to be made up of iron, nickel, and some other elements. The partially molten state of the core is likely due to the residual heat left over from the moon's formation, as well as from the decay of radioactive isotopes within the moon's interior. While our understanding of the moon's internal structure is based on a combination of data from spacecraft and computer models, there is still much to learn about the moon's interior. Future missions of research will likely profit insight to the moon's core and its formation. So I'm with you, mate. Oh, oh, do you know what? UK, UK education isn't what it was. <laughs> Apparently not. Is, how, is that new? Inf it can't be new information. Uh, 2011. So we were still in school. <laughs> Man, I was in the top set for science, if you don't know. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, that's wild. Yeah. It kind of makes though. sense. Yeah, it 100%. Sense. Yeah, like it wouldn't have cooled um, down that quick, surely. Now I think about the it. The fact it's still going is that's a long time after to still have residual heat. It must have been hot. Mm. Like so hot you mispronounce it. <laughs> that's wild. Okay, cool. I wonder if like Earth's gravity is like helping keep the heat there a bit longer. Mm -hmm. Um from that tidal action we were speaking about before. Tidal action. That's pretty cool. Alright. Um anything else to uh to speak about? On the moon? Yeah, mate, I've got plenty. I've got plenty. I've got plenty. Alright. We so on up to the hour, so Yeah, so I've got the size the size of the moon. And how they calculated it way back when. Okay. On the size and the distance of the sun and the moon. Uh is widely accepted as the only excellent work written by um, Aristocrus of Samos. I'm pretty sure I went. Classic. That's always his home, his home place. I've, I've been there, been there. It's oh, one time nice. that I can say that I've been there and Tom hasn't. Uh, it was an ancient Greek <laughs> astronomer who lived circa 310 to 230 BCE before Common Era. Era. Uh, and this work calculates the size of the sun and moon, as well as their distance from the Earth in terms of the Earth's radius. So, and how accurate were they? The book was presumably preserved by the students of the Pappas of Alexandria's course in mathematics, although there's no evidence for this. The, the princeps was published by John Wallace in 1688 using several medieval manuscripts compiled by Sir Henry Saville. The earliest Latin transcription made was by Giorgio Valla in 1488. Um, it began the premise that during a half moon, the moon's form of a right... The moon forms a right angle with the sun and the earth, 
and by observing the angle between the sun and the moon, the ratio of the distance to the sun and moon could be deduced using a form of trigonometry. And that's how you worked it out. That's pretty mad. It's a wacky thought to be like, you know what? I think, I think if it's a perfect half moon, that's a 50 degree angle. And being in, no, in no. 310 to 230 BC, being right, and <laughs> having no yeah. idea how it works, and that being like, yeah, I'm just going to... Being gonna right, actually... and then never kind of like... You'd have to be so confident in your conviction. Yeah, you say it with your chest. You have to say it with your chest. Yeah. It was like... Uh, it Was it ain't. I think it was ancient Greek period, but you know, ancient Egypt was still rocking around. Oh, is that the Mesopotamia, the, the the rods and in the they, grounds? Yeah, and they yeah. figured out the circumference of Earth and that it was spherical by going to one place at midday and measuring the length of the shadow cast by a, a rod, a pole in the ground, and then going to another place at midday and measuring the length of the shadow cast by the same pole there and then using the difference and using how far they traveled we must be on a curved surface and then they could figure out the whole circumference of the earth 2000 yeah. over 2000 years ago absolutely crazy like yes, especially right. okay. because you have no reason to think or even ask why or if the earth is curved or flat like yeah I've done, ahead I've, of the time i've done him a bit of a disservice uh aristocrats of samos you know what okay uh one of his most famous discoveries was his pro proposal of a heliocentric model of the solar system where the sun ah. is at the center and the earth and the other planets orbit around it it was one of the first See, when you were saying that yeah I was like, oh, so we're past the heliocentric thing then. I didn't remember that happening back then. <laughs> yeah, no, that he was the first, one of the first ones. Yeah, it was a revolutionary idea at the time, as the prevailing view was the Earth was the centre of the universe because of, you know, God. Well, it makes sense also if you're looking out and you can see everything around you. Yeah. Like, we are the centre of the observable universe, ego. right? Human ego. Um, Human ego. So he really had to say that with his chest then, didn't he? He <laughs> really did, yeah. He was saying <laughs> it with such... Full Oof. chest. Uh, so the way that he did it, right, is is absolutely crazy. So I mean, let, me, let me break it down. He used a method called parallax to estimate the sizes and the distance of the sun and the moon. The parallax is the apparent shift in the position of an object when viewed from different locations. By measuring the angular difference in the position of the moon or the sun when viewed from two different locations on Earth, he was able to estimate the relative size and distance of the celestial bodies. To estimate the size of the sun... He used the fact that during a half-moon phase, the angle between the sun and the moon is a, is a right angle, 90 degrees. He then reasoned that if he could measure this angle accurately, he could use trigonometry to calculate the relative size of the sun and the moon. He estimated the angle was about 87 degrees, which is very actually close to the actual angle of 89 degrees. Using this angle, he estimated that the sun was about 20 times larger than Earth, which is close to the modern value. <laughs> to estimate this far off. Yeah, to estimate the distance between the Earth and the Sun, he then again used the half-moon phase and measured the angle between the Sun and the Earth during this phase. He then estimated this angle to be 120th of a full circle, so 18 degrees. Using this angle, he estimated the size of the Sun, and he was able to calculate the distance from the Earth to the Sun was about 20 times the distance between the Earth and the Moon. Like, they, okay, while they weren't, you know, precise by modern standards... He was in the ballpark, which is he was ridiculous. In the ballpark doing it with, with a pen and paper, but pen and paper, and just looking bad, up and being it? like, "Yeah, I reckon that's about ninety degrees." <laughs> that's about ninety. I'll do that by eye. Ninety degrees. Bit of Pythagoras. Bish bash bosh. Yeah. Trigonometry. Bish bash bosh. You know, we had some clever people over. You know, Pythagorean over on the different island, which I always yeah. think it's always like Greek islands because they got there's no, back in the day they're quite small. <laughs> there's nothing else going on. They're just looking at stuff and being like. No, they had I, a lot going that's on. That's why they degrees. had philosophers and scientists at the time. They <laughs> yeah. they were able, they would progress far. They had so much going on. That's the point. Yeah. Um, I just, wicked stuff. Absolutely incredible stuff back in the day. Uh, and his work laid the groundwork for astronomers to refine these estimates in the future by working off his ideas. How would they look at us now and all the flat earthers around? 
You know what I do? You know what I don't Sad think. Times. <laughs> uh, do you know what my conspiracy theory is? Okay. That all these Greek uh, mathematicians, astronomers, all that kind of stuff don't didn't actually exist back then, and they were like this information was handed to us by aliens and to, as the cover story they were like right this 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 area of the world that wasn't very populated at the time they did, they were just here just doing stuff because apparently there's nothing else to do so that makes a perfect sense to cover as a cover story <laughs> all right well maybe we'll we'll uh, let you have that conspiracy theory yeah and we'll leave the viewers with that um because that's a wild one and i'm not even sure how to come back at you there <laughs> <laughs> so that'll bring us to a wrap don't forget to share this with your friends families scientists aliens who are covering themselves up as ancient grecian philosophers they're on um, to you if We're you want to you more now. information fun science you can follow us at twitter and tiktok at info entry pod instagram information entry pod as well as spotify itunes whatever directory you're listening to this on right now if you can give us a like rating follow share comment whatever it is it helps us out absolutely massively. Did Anything just... else to shout out? Uh, put your conkers in vinegar. Do not put your conkers in vinegar. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nut pimping. There we go. We'll leave it on that. We'll catch you guys <laughs> the next week. Peace. Ciao for now.